Hi, this is Dr. Cameron Thompson. Welcome to the Marquesa de Carabas podcast, mapping the real world of culture and meaning to be a resource and inspiration for a culture of human flourishing. Okay, so... If you run in certain circles, you've no doubt heard about the Benedict Option, Benop for short, and you know people tend to love or hate it. Lots of folks mostly love to hate it. So did I, both love and hate it, that is. And like most critics of Ron Dreher's idea, I'd never actually read his book on it, nor ever bothered to find out what he had said about the idea during the last number of years of his talking about it prior to even writing the book in 2017. Well, a few years on, uh, about a year and a half ago, to be precise, I went from being a Benop skeptic to a strong advocate once I understood the original guidebook written by St. Benedict himself. By seeing better what Benedict shows us, and by understanding a little bit better what Alistair McIntyre means by the term and where the inspiration came from, but more on that later, I think we can understand not only why the Benedict Option is a good strategy, but even more importantly, how it contains practical wisdom on how to live out well, uh, essentially being a Christian in today's world, not because of persecution, but because we have drifted so far from the basic common sense orientation of our lives around really a way of life centered on God. And that is really what's at the heart of what I've found in the original Benedict Option guidebook, St. Benedict's own writings on the subject, which is why I went ahead and produced a new translation of St. Benedict's rule, along with some helpful commentary to put things into, into context and help us understand how do these things can apply. But back to how I went from being a Benedict Option skeptic to beginning now to actually advocate more for something like the Benedict Option. We can we can dispense with the terminology if that's problematic for people, but the real thing is a return to embeddedness in real concrete communities of, of Christian praxis. Now, I had my definite opinions on the matter, like all anti-Benedict Option critics. I love to posit my own pet theory alternative to the Benedict Option. A simple Google search reveals all manner of things, from the Mary Option to the Beer Option, written by a friend of mine. My was the Farmer Giles option, which, as it turns out in the end, to boil down essentially to the same thing of what Rod has originally had in mind, uh, perhaps with a slight shift of emphasis, when he came up with the Benedict option years ago. Now, everybody knows, and if you know me, you know I am at times, very occasionally, given to hyperbole, that Rod Dreher's inspiration for the idea came from the end of the last chapter in Alistair McIntyre excuse me, Alistair McIntyre's book, After Virtue, where McIntyre says that society is waiting not for Godot, but for another, doubtless very different, St. Benedict. And people like to pick on Ron Dreher, saying that he's totally misinterpreted McIntyre, he's misrepresenting McIntyre, and so on. The thing is, the real key to understanding what Alistair McIntyre says in the very end of his book, After Virtue, the real key to understanding the Benedict Option lies not in the final sentence, but earlier on in that same paragraph when McIntyre talks about just what the original Benedict of 6th century Italy did and what this new Benedict-like path for society should look like. 
it's uncanny actually how McIntyre almost himself used the term Benedict option in the late 1980s. He all but says it. He frames it up though perfectly. He just didn't use those particular words. Namely, he says, what Benedict and his monks set themselves to achieve was the construction of new forms of community within which the moral life could be sustained so that both morality and civility might survive the coming ages of barbarism and darkness. He's speaking here of the context of Europe in the late 6th century. McIntyre continues, if my account of our moral condition is correct, we ought also to conclude that for some time now we too have reached that turning point. That is to say, we've been living in the Dark Ages for quite some time. And he doesn't mean the last couple of decades of the, you know, the 2000s here. McIntyre wrote this in the late 1980s, and he's talking about the last century or two. What matters, he says, at this stage is the construction that is our day here and now, not because of recent political events in, in 2020, 2021, but he's talking about in the late 20th, early 21st century, at this stage, what matters is the construction of local forms of community within which civility and the intellectual and moral life can be sustained through the, through the new dark ages, which have already been upon us for some time. Now, me speaking here, that was all McIntyre, Alistair McIntyre. I happen to specialize academically in both virtue psychology and monastic spirituality. And as an anthropologist psychologist, I can tell you that McIntyre is spot on with what he says we need today. That is tangible living communities in which to become embedded to learn more what that means. Go ahead and read McIntyre's book, After Virtue. But even though I knew all of this in the abstract, in day-to-day -day life, I still, in practice, made like we could make it on our own in the midst of the modern industrial urban landscape. This has been my life prior to recently. Over time, however, we realized, my family, realized that we could not survive in a world like that and keep our sanity intact, let alone any connection really to God. Now, I know many people who've opted there, therefore to retreat into isolated life on a self-sufficient homestead in the countryside. Heck, we, over the course of the last two years, even ended up by circumstance having to live that way for a time too. But let me tell you, the fact is that human beings were not made for isolation and no nuclear family unit was ever meant to be self-sufficient as a small family. A village, on the other hand, sure, can be expected to provide for all of its own needs with the exception of you know, engaging in trade with other other cities uh, for, for various things. But it's absurd to think that a family, a little nuclear family unit, should be expected to provide for all of its own needs. Human beings are made for community, something on the scale of a village or a town or even a small city, but community nonetheless centered on the common pattern of life with others at a human scale and a human pace of life. Neither the urban industrial complex nor the isolated little house on the prairie homestead is a healthy habitat for human beings. It's simply not how we were made to live as biological organisms. In either environment, the sole nuclear family unit standing out against the storm will simply be snuffed out. It's human nature. We were made for more. The problem is, at the most basic level, one of the problem is at a most basic level, one of a return to human scale. Only then will life actually begin to become more livable. And that's not even touching on the religious dimension of things. Or maybe it is. You see, true Christian living, genuine Christian culture, not divorced from ordinary life, 
in practice is all about, and historically always thrives best when it embodies, small-scale relationship-based local economies centered both on communal liturgies of of divine worship on the one hand and incarnating that divinity through the daily life of humanity on the other hand. And guess what? Turns out that's what the Bene- that's what Benedict's own original option was all about. In fact, prior to what Charles Taylor calls the secular age in his book on with the same title, the secular age, it was in fact the only real way of life for any given Christian as well. Nothing special about monasticism in that way, except monasticism happened to be living it out in an attenuated form. And so once I started to work all of that out, I thought it just might be worth taking a look at what Rod Dreher actually had to say about the so-called Benedict Option. And here's what I found. Quote, the Benedict Option refers to Christians of the contemporary West who cease to identify the continuation of civility, or civilization, and moral community with the maintenance of American empire, and who therefore are keen to construct local forms of community as loci of Christian resistance against what the empire represents, and who also recognize that forming Christians who live out Christianity according to the great tradition requires embedding within communities institutions dedicated to that same formation. Well, well, no wonder the Benedict Option gets misunderstood and misconstrued. It's not just the fact that people love to hate it. It's just not just the fact that people love to hate on political pundits. Rod Dreher is a big deal over at a blog called The American Conservative, for crying out loud. There's, there's a certain reputation that has been built up around that and people's perceptions of him. That's fine. The reason people have misunderstood this and misconstrued this is because the Benedict Option flies in the face of all that commercialized mainstream modern sensibilities say about what you should do as a citizen of modern progressive society. But hey, so does the gospel. Sermon on the Mount, anyone? Anyway, this isn't all theoretical either. Do you realize how, and this is speaking as an anthropologist and an organizational psychologist, do you have any idea how much of our basic, how much our way of living, even how we think, is shaped nudged, as they say, by the structures and routines that we live in. That is to say, for any given one of us, so much of our basic sensibilities, what you think you think in, let alone what you do in daily life, is shaped and nudged by the structures and routines of secular modernity that you're embedded in. Now, amplify this a hundred times for how that impacts the development of our children. There is nothing more practical than taking an inventory of how Think about it. How does mainstream life in the modern secular West shape your heart and the hearts and minds of your children? Just think about that. We are bodily creatures and we are shaped in our desires, in our actions or behaviors, and thus which become our habits. And even the way that we think, we're shaped by the environment that we we find ourselves in, both our social environment and physical environment. But lest you be tempted to think that the only solution is to go into some isolationist self-sufficiency kick, think again about instead of just exiting orbit, you enter into a different orbit altogether, a healthier, saner orbit. Could you imagine even, for instance, the immense burden that is lifted by being able to live in a local community whose pattern of life and routines actually freed you? instead of inhibiting or outright prohibit or outright prohibiting you to living a christian life to live a life in christ personally having launched over some major life transitions in the last few years as my family and i seek for really seek for a more human way of life seek for the genuine freedom to worship god 
in freedom and in truth, to follow where he is leading us, to find a place where we can live at a human scale and a human pace of life to regain our sanity and maybe even someday to become more human so that we can be divinized by God. Through these changes, I have a new appreciation for the Bena, for the Benedict option, what it actually is, not just what many people think it to be. Now that I've actually talked with Rod and others who are following the Benedict option about it, and actually seen what Rod has to say. Maybe I come from the privileged position of having studied St. Benedict and his rule for over a quarter century now. That allows me to see something that others might easily overlook, which is why I thought it worthwhile to revisit the original idea that Benedict himself had 1,500 years ago as a strategy for Christians living in the midst of a non-Christian world. Or heck, as has been the case for basically 1,500 years, strategy for Christians living in a Christian world so that they continue to be Christian, so they can actually live a human life, let alone become holy. And to then take this and make it available to everyone in a more accessible version of Benedict's own vision for the Benedict option is he conceived it, as Benedict himself wrote out what he was doing, as well as a guide for putting it into practice. So before you write all this off, click the podcast off and unsubscribe because I'm, you know, Cameron's totally gone off his rocker. Come along with me and take an honest look at what the Benedict option is actually about by looking at what Benedict himself actually has to say. And here's a hint. It's not about circling the wagons or fleeing persecution. I never got the circling the wagons thing, honestly. We were never able to do that in Oregon Trail, so I'm not sure where that comes from. But let's see together if you and I can maybe even improve upon the idea of the Benedict Option by looking at the original guide, the OG, if you will, to the Benedict Option, namely what St. Benedict himself actually has to say and tell us about this. And you'll find the link to this new translation of the book in the show notes here. The title of the book is The Original Benedict Option Guidebook, as Benedict of Nursia's own rules for living Christian community in a post-Christian society. Because through that, we're able to answer the question of what does a meaningful Christian community look like in today's world and how are we to reclaim it really for ourselves, those who want to live a more fully human life, a way of life that actually is conducive to and supports what what we want to be about as, as human beings, frankly. Um, but for those of us who are Christians, to really re-root ourselves in what that means as a way of life. So this Benedict option, uh, which tends to be reviewed, tends to be viewed rather as a reactionary isolationism from the modern world. Um, if we look at it only as that, we really risk missing what we might learn from the real Saint Benedict himself. So I encourage you to go ahead and take a, a look at that book. You can find it on Amazon in all the countries around the world in the major marketplaces that that's available, uh, as well as your local bookseller. If they don't have it, you can ask them to get it. Uh, it should be available everywhere books are sold. But for the quick and convenient-minded, uh, you can go ahead and find that on Amazon, the original Benedict Option guidebook. So let's take a little bit closer deep dive and look into what Benedict has to say about Christian community and how we can live it today. So 
we'll look a little bit more in detail at what Alistair McIntyre has to say, who spelled out the original inspiration for Dreher's idea, Rod Dreher's idea that became the, what we call the Benedict Option, uh, to give us some direction as to where to begin looking. But let's look also at St. Benedict himself, because unless you have a very particular specialization, very particular specialization in, in a certain field of academics, it's hard to distill out what um, McIntyre is actually aiming at as well as how to apply it. So I propose we look directly at what St. Benedict of Nursia himself can tell us to shed some light on the present situation, which in many ways is quite similar to the predicament of Christian culture that Benedict faced in his own day. Now, the rule of St. Benedict, especially in its received form, uh, often comes in abysmally arcane translations into English, can be a bit overwhelming to try and make heads or tails of, which is why also in my new translation of, of St. Benedict's rule, I've also reorganized the material inside of it by topic, uh, because it's structured in a very, very different kind of way than is accessible to our modern sensibilities. So each chapter is organized by topic, as well as the, the text itself being rendered into a much better translation to modern English. Um, as well as with accompanying commentary to guide the reader through how to apply St. Benedict's wisdom into our real lives. So what resulted from the decades of study and translation research uh, is, as I mentioned earlier, the original Benedict Option guidebook. So what is this all about? I want to reiterate again that the important thing to note from the beginning, that the Benedict Option, both in Benedict's own day and in our own, that is, and we'll look at some of the parallels here, during the collapse of the then-dominant superpower of Rome, and in the midst of the collapse of the dominant global superpowers today, or the beginning crumbling of them, is not fundamentally, what we need to be about is not fundamentally about preserving Western civilization, as some people have wrongly asserted, many people have wrongly asserted, but rather about preserving and indeed revivifying the faith and culture that gave birth to it, lest our religion of Christ, as incarnated in the cultures of Western civilization, should entirely perish along with them in their current demise. You see, St. Benedict himself didn't set out to preserve the collapsing Roman Empire, though his monastic movement preserved and spread Christianity across Europe, giving birth to a renaissance of Christian culture there. Nor should we set out on the way of St. Of, on the way of St. Benedict to preserve modern Western civilization. No, indeed, the modern global West has already drifted over the centuries so far from its true Christian roots as to be increasingly incompatible with living a true Christian life, which by its very nature carries a necessarily ecclesial dimension. That is to say, Christianity cannot be lived at all without a concrete community wherein our salvation and sanctification can be worked out through living, breathing Christian culture. It's not an individual project. This is something we need to be embedded in community to do. Nor is it enough, indeed it would be a fatal flaw, to preserve, the mere, to preserve merely the historic trappings of Western civilization, valuable though they may appear. The one thing necessary, what is demanded of our times, is to reclaim and restore in concrete communities with all the infrastructural elements required for the task, authentic Christian culture as a lived experience. This is what, in his own day, St. Benedict, in fact, did, namely to, quote, establish a school for the service of the Lord, end quote. And so it is that we must set out to do in our own day. This is what, the, what I came to as a realization that, as a, as a psychologist, looking at formation, how do we shape 
our our minds? How do we shape our habits uh, to develop our virtues, to shape our character, to live a certain way of life? It's not enough to read books. It's not enough to attend classes. It's not enough to participate in one-off seminars and immersion workshops. We are shaped so much by our actual lived environment. If we want to become virtuous, if we want to become human, if we want to become Christian, then we, if we want to become holy, we need to be living in an environment that shapes us in that way. We need to be living day in and day out in an environment that we don't have to fight to live that because just the way that we're made, our very human nature is such that we, we become part of the environment that we're embedded in. And it's either an environment that conduces to living fully or not. And, and and we're going to live accordingly, no matter how strong you think your will is. You cannot shape yourself contrary to what your environment is. So we must not mistake the flowers for the root, nor the leaf for the vital seed. And so we should not set out to preserve the perishable and temporally situated elements of Western civilization that, granted, sprang from Christ. But rather what we need to do is preserve and nourish, or rather recover, the vital seeds of Christian life itself, that fire of divine love, if you will, which when planted in actual living communities will bring forth a new renaissance of Christian culture and civilization that will breathe new life into the world in the days of our great grandchildren. We owe this to them, even if we don't, because really at the heart of it, I think the reason most of us haven't taken steps to live more radically is because we don't think we deserve it. We think we can hash it out on our own somehow. We can make do. So often, I've been through this. Uh, my family's been through this over the last two years and these conversations again and again. So I know that you have had these same conversations with yourself or with others that always end in, yeah, we could, that would be ideal, but we can make do with this. The reason that you haven't made those steps to make a more radical shift in your life is because you don't believe that you deserve it, because you're thinking about yourself and how you can make do. And sure, maybe you can. Maybe you can just make it with the way that you're living, with the environment that you find yourself in. And I don't fault you for that. I'm not judging you. I haven't made it yet either. But when we reorient our focus, our scope to say, this isn't about me, this isn't about us, this is about the world that our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren will be born into. This is for them. When you take that longitudinal view, then you begin to realize that we owe this to them as their ancestors. We owe this to them as their fathers and mothers in the holy and sacred Christian faith. So that's where I'm going to leave things at today. I just wanted to produce this episode and get this out there to introduce uh, the new translation of the Rule of St. Benedict that I've produced, particularly in terms of its application to living Christian community in our world today. Check it out on Amazon, wherever books are available. It's the original Benedict Option guidebook. Go ahead and take a look. I'd appreciate if you get a copy. If you can't afford a copy, contact me. I'm sure we can work something out. But you can go ahead and find it, like I said, on Amazon, wherever books are available. And I will uh, see you later. Otherwise, in brief updates, uh, we have moved to Italy. I know this was mentioned uh, sometime in the last year or two on the podcast here that we're making a major move. We're hoping to move to Italy. Thanks be to God, we are here. We have settled here. We've been here for some months now uh, as of April. It's been a few months and we are beginning to to live a new way of life. But ultimately what we're about here is we are 
we are on a quest. We're on a quest for a genuinely more human way of life, uh, one where we can live more fully and become who we want to be because we recognize our weakness and our frailty and our vulnerability to the, the real environment that we place ourselves in. So we are seeking to find and create and participate in an environment that is conducive to a more human way of life. That is what we've been up to, and this is the first of many more new podcast episodes that we'll be launching now that our transatlantic uh, move has been completed. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Marquesa de Carabas podcast. Uh, please subscribe today. I would really appreciate it. Uh, we can continue the conversation together. You can find me anywhere on social media at C. Mikhail Thompson or follow me on uh, you know, on my Facebook page, Dr. Cameron Mikhail Thompson. Uh, otherwise, go ahead and visit CameronMThompson.com. That's CameronMThompson.com. To find out more and to find show notes for these episodes on the podcast and other information, I'm going to be sharing the text of this essay and some of the other resources that I've mentioned and will mention in future episodes also on the website there. It is a work in progress, but go ahead, check it out. Uh, hop on over across the web there to visit that. And once again, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe today to this podcast. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to hearing from you.